I'm Leah Bonema, and I have beaten the often path by constantly overthinking things and then telling myself not to overthink them. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast, the show where we feature unusual success stories to help us think outside the box in our lives and our careers. As I say this, I'm reminded that I really need to find a non-cliche alternative to think outside the box for my openers, but alas, my ignorance knows no bounds. My guest today is the exceptionally talented Leah Bonema, a stand-up comedian and writer who recently moved from New York City to Los Angeles. She's done performances on network television and even on The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, a personal hero of mine. She's also written full-length books and scripts in addition to co-hosting a weekly podcast with Nick Lighton called Were You Raised by Wolves? Now, today we talk about making it as a comic in this crazy world, so I'm just thrilled to introduce... Leah Bonema. Well, that's something that I can relate to a lot. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Leah. How are you doing today? I'm good. I, as you know, I'm a little frazzled. I was like, can I still eat my blueberries? And I didn't know we were, I had a t-shirt on that was like a tank top that had, you know, silly, silly words on it. And I, I was like, oh, we're filming. I got to get my life together. <laughs> that's right. You got to go with the gym shorts, nice shirt combination. That's that's been my Zoom go-to since the start of this thing. I love it. I love it. So, you know, for those who are listening who don't know, maybe explain a little bit about what is your life, your career? What are you up to? Um, my name is Leah. I'm a stand-up comedian. Uh, I'm originally from Northwestern Maine. Um, I lived in New York for a very long time up until recently. Plotting away at stand-up, doing reps in New York City, which I loved. I just moved to Los Angeles. Um, and I do a podcast called Were You Raised by Wolves? And I also write, um, ironically, my two favorite scripts to write are either murder scripts or Christmas scripts. So that's my jam. I love performing and then I love Christmas murder. <laughs> Christmas murder. <laughs> Is it funny Christmas murder or just straight? No, Christmas? they've been totally separate. But I was just murder, uh, murder, and Christmas, Christmas, and Christmas, Christmas. I was in Seattle this past weekend headlining, and I'm working on like a new arc for okay. an hour. And I was like, "Wow, this whole hour is either murder or like rom com Christmas stuff." So it's this is really my my great divide. So it's like the seething underbelly of all of the <laughs> rom coms. You get that out of your system, and then you're just filled with a murderous rage. I, You know, I understand. I've watched enough of them. It always fills me with the need for violence, I feel like. Uh, <laughs> I love them. It's like this weird part of me that really loves them. Yeah. And then I also love, you know, murder shows. Okay, cool. Well, there's a lot to unpack there. This isn't a therapy <laughs> session. It's just an interview. Uh, <laughs> but how did you I'm get... I'm comfortable with this split in my personality. Good. All right. Well, how, how did you get started in comedy? This is a subject that fascinates me endlessly. I've been a huge fan forever. What's your arc? Um, I got into comedy accidentally. I, as a child, very much remember, like, my parents didn't let me watch television. And I had a friend whose mom let her watch, like, PG-13 and R movies. And I remember seeing Bette Midler and Shelley Long in Outrageous Fortune. And they were, like, funny and edgy and, you know, brassy. And I was like, yes. 
And then my mom actually took me to see this movie because she wanted me um, to see like great, great female roles. So we went and saw Whoopi Goldberg in Jumpin' Jack Flash. And I was like, whoa, you know what I mean? You just like have a woman come in driving the narrative. She's so funny. And so I had all these like, I, I love, I had these in my head as a youth that I really loved. And then also my parents listened to records. So it was like a lot of storytelling. Listened to a lot of Bill Cosby, which who knew? Who knew? And uh, Richard Pryor. And who knew? So I love storytelling. Who knew? All of them. And then I went to college. I did a lot of writing. Um, and then after college, I was asked to write a solo show. And the director asked me to take a stand-up class to punch it up. Hmm. And I took the class and it was like all those things I loved. It was getting to talk about things that were important to me. It was live performance. It was storytelling. And I just became obsessed with it. You know, there's nothing like live performance because no. even if you're doing the same set, it's different every time. Hmm. Did, you, did you have a background in theater? Were you doing theater as a kid or was that also new? I did dance. I did yeah. dance. Okay. Um, I never got cast in anything. People never picked me. So. Also didn't matter, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep on trucking. Keep on trucking. Man, I have so much respect for uh, stand-up comedy. See, I, I did theater as a kid. I was always doing theater. But I did improv comedy for years. In high school and college, I did improv comedy. But I was always terrified of doing stand-up comedy because I was always afraid of being just totally on my own out there. And, you know, if I miss a line or if I forget something, that was terrifying to me. I think you do. You really do it. You yeah. miss lines. You, I'll black, blank out. You know, sometimes when you're talking, you just forget what you're saying. Yeah. Um, you can bomb for like 45 minutes straight with just a group of people hating you. And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so, there's nothing else like it. You know yeah. what I mean? Because it's the highs and lows. And uh, ironically, like I can do that, but I can't return something to Rite Aid. Do you know what I mean? It puts me over the anxiety level because I'm like, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But stand up, when I get up there, it's it's totally different. So what? how long are your sets usually? Or were they? Did it evolve? I mean, when you start, like when I started, I they call it barking. I stood okay. in front of a club and I handed out flyers for okay. a couple of hours for five minutes. So they would put me on the end of the show for five minutes. Mm -hmm. And I did that like five or six nights a week. And then I started running a room. I would run a room because then you got your own stage time. You meet comics. You could switch with other comics. Um, so then, you know, you start with like a five minutes and then you just get more and more comfortable and it grows and it grows and you start to find your voice. And then now, um, you know, if you're on the road, you're doing like, 45 to an hour. Okay. And city clubs are, you know, anywhere between eight to the longest a city club will give you is like 20 minutes, hmm. but it's usually around 10 to 12. Okay. So there's still a pretty big range on any given day. You're doing somewhere in there. Yeah. Do you have different approaches? Like if you're doing a five minute, is it the same? Is it just the first five minutes of the hour or is it all completely different in your mind? Oh, they're totally different. Okay. Um, it also depends on, I mean, if you're working on something, you're just going to do it wherever you're doing it. But sometimes, sometimes you want to work on a new joke or sometimes the type of room, it feels better suited for another part of your set. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like a feeling it out kind of a situation. 
So you're definitely willing to improvise or change on the fly depending on what's going on. Oh, yeah. I'll okay. bail. You know, sometimes like things are just, if it's not going well, you just got to dig in and either be like, I'm trying these jokes. These people aren't going to like me, but this is what it is. Or you switch what you were going to do or you go into crowd work. You know, it's, or sometimes you, somebody says something in the crowd or something that you said sparks something and you just want to go into something else. Mm. To leave that open. Interesting. I leave it open. Cool. That's so cool. Yeah, I'm always very, very fascinated at the intersection of art and commerce. And I love comedy and music. That's just in my DNA. So this is a really fascinating chat for me because I'm very curious as somebody who never had the guts to go all the way for comedy, but secretly kind of always wanted to and still maybe does in some sense. Uh, I never knew, like, what's the career arc or the model that you're basing everything off of? What's the target just to get a Netflix special? Like, what? how does it work as a successful comedian? Everybody has different ideas of what success is for them. My idea of success is not having to have another job. Yeah. You know, that was the first, first, my first goal. Yep. Um, that I could just make money on comedy and comedy adjacent things. So I feel very grateful that I'm at that point. Great. Um, and then for me, a lot of my goal is that I want to be a part of projects that I believe in that I think are good. You know what I mean? I want to work with people that are great. I want to work with people that have something to say. Um, so I think some people's goals, they want to be a writer. Some people want to write for late night. Some people want a special. My goal is, you know, I'm working towards I want a special and then I also want to make a have my own production company and you know make all be a part of telling people stories who have like comedic voices yeah. and maybe talk about murder or Christmas. And maybe bring let's sprinkle that in there. That's <laughs> uh, you know that's great. I'm a huge believer of multi-potentialites and that's clearly <laughs> what you are. So <laughs> it's just a simple comedy production for Christmas and murder. I like yeah. <laughs> what could be clearer. I'm, if I had a bag of cash, I would just hand it to you right now. Um, Thank you. But I, as for what you were saying, I think you can always start. There's another awkward sound effect transition to get into what would be considered the commercial part of our program. We're going to interrupt the action here for a quick second to do a little shameless plug. If you're enjoying this show, make sure that you subscribe, that you've rated it five stars. If you've rated it five stars, why not leave a nice comment on the Apple Podcasts page? Why not leave a nice review to help more people find it? Why not spread the word, share it, like, comment on the posts, you know, do any of the things that help something grow in the digital day and age. I would really, really appreciate it if you could help me grow this podcast together with you. So now back to the show. All right, how do you start? What's step one on the comedy I Barking? People make fun of classes. I love a class okay. because yeah. you meet new people. Mm -hmm. And like when I met those people, then we would agree as a group, oh, we're going to go to this mic together or, or we're going to do this together. And you're, that way you're sort of held accountable, you know, um, to like maybe you get nervous and you don't want to go, but you got to go because you told your friend. And you sort of get a structure, which really helped me. And then also I would write more because I had to show up at the class. So I, that was very helpful for me. Some people aren't class people, but I love it. And then I barked. I think finding something that's regular either. I don't think people bark as much anymore, but like maybe running a room or uh, running a mic. So you have that regular, the regularity of it. Something you have to show up to. I, I do very well with, you know, 
you ha- you're basically working for yourself. So you have to set your own timelines. You have to be like, I have to have this done by then. Right. So I either tell people or, hey, can I send this to you on this date? So I know I do it. Or you're like, I'm going to set up this weekly show. So I know I'll have new stuff. Do you, what do you, that actually brings up a good point. So, you know, that's something every writer will say. You have to set aside time or schedule or you have to, you know, build it into your routine to do this stuff. How do you feel that social media plays a role? And does it matter? Is that an outlet? Is that a practice area? Or is it just something completely different that you hate doing? Like, where does that fit into that? Um, I think for some people, it's really a creative outlet. Like, they do tons of fun videos. And um, I think it can be a creative outlet. It definitely is. The positive side of it is that you can get your own stuff out there. You can delete the middle people. Yeah. The negative side of it is that it's you can get sucked in and waste hours and hours of time. Yeah. Um, and then also I do find that I get... The way my brain works is if I have two big things to do, I do one one day and one the other because as soon as I divide my mind, I've lost... For creative projects, not like administrative stuff, I've lost the momentum. So I feel like when you check social media, you lose the focus of what you were doing. Yeah. But like putting little videos up, you know, I know a lot of people who got a lot, a lot of progress or movement because of these great little videos they do. And it's a great place to work out bits. I think it could be a great tool if you protect your mind and protect yourself. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah, because if you're only a slave to the algorithm all day, then you're, it's hard to build the little micro content things that you need to do and also build things that are a bigger vision, right? Because if you're like, I'm going to make a video every single day, then cool, that's great. Your social media account's growing, but then suddenly you're not doing that screenplay that you've been wanting to do or, or like some large or writing a book or whatever it may be, right? Do you feel yeah, that? I do feel that. I feel like you have to have your big goals and then um, the things that you do every day. And then I'm my most productive when I don't go on social media. <laughs> of course. You know, I, I did over the pandemic, I wrote a Christmas novel and I self-published it. I didn't do anything. Well, because we couldn't do stand-up. I did do some private Zooms, but during, I took two months where I didn't do it. All I did, I did meet with Nick and we did Were You Raised by Wolves, which was actually a wonderful thing to keep me going through the pandemic because it was a regular, yeah. but I stopped everything else. I didn't go online and I wrote a whole book and self-published it. Wow. Cool. But I didn't divide my mind at all. You know what I mean? Right. And now do you feel like you're going to go back or is it just like, forget it? Well, I'm definitely, I've, and I talked to a lot of my friends about this. I think everybody sort of feels, or a lot of people feel the same way with the reopening. You know, we were so indoors for so long. And now all of a sudden it's all these things again, you know, with comedy, you got to book your spots. You got to read, you got to meet new people to book different rooms. You got to work on your sets you got to work on your project. You got to update your social media. So all of a sudden, it's all those things again. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I don't remember how to be, you know, this across this, this across the board in one day. Like, I, I think I may need a few. Plus, the first time I went out and I did, like, a, I did uh, Atlantic City. I had a week of gigs. It was in May. And it was my first indoor gigs. I got so worn out just by being around that many people oh, again. Oh, yeah, sure that I had to like go back to my hotel room and just lay on the floor to recoup. Cause it's like all those, 
I hadn't been around human beings. Right. Yeah. And you're just like knocked out. So much. Um, so at one point, obviously, one of the career highlights you had is you were on the Colbert show, right? Yes. How does this happen? He's obviously a legend, of course. Legend. Hero uh, of mine, personal hero. <laughs> uh, I was, I never saw myself as somebody who would get a late night. Like I, I sort of, I'm always like, oh, I'm not the right. I'm always figuring out how I'm not right for something. And finally I was like, let's not think about, let's not think that way anymore, you know? And so you put together a five minute set or five to seven, five to nine, and you sort of submit to, you know, you know who all the bookers are for the late nights and people see you around and the booker for um, Stephen Colbert's show came, Skim was like, I like this set. Let's work on this set. And so I, instead of letting my, oh, I, I'm not the right for this. Da, 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 I took it like a, like you would take any job. You know what mm. I mean? Here's the set. I'm going to run it. I'm going to edit out the extra words. I'm going to run it. I'm going to move this joke around this way. And then you send it in. Obviously it has to get approved. They were like, move this joke. You just run it. You run it. You run it. And I just focused on the work. Um, you know, it takes a couple months to go through and then you get approved and then you get your date and then you are like, what am I going to wear? You know what I mean? And then you try not to self-sabotage in the couple of days that you have leading up to it. And then, you know, it's like a dream. It's also a dream theater. You know what I mean? Of course. So, so were you in the Ed Sullivan Theater? That's where you were? Yes. Oh my God. Wow. You just think about all the people that have stood on the stage I, like, right before I walked out, I was just delinting myself like a mad woman. You know what <laughs> right. I mean? Because you just want to do something with your hands. <laughs> yeah. And I was just delinting and delinting. But the great thing about stand-up comedy is the amount of hours we've all put in in front of audiences. So once you get the first joke out of your mouth, like, you're like, I, this is home. Yeah. You know, I'm used to this. It's just being like, these are people it's like every other audience. There are live people in the theater. Play to the people. Yep. And then I think I like blacked out and I don't remember anything. But it, I was very happy. <laughs> During I was so or happy. after? After. Okay. You just blacked out. <laughs> Were there substances involved? <laughs> no, no. I okay. don't I don't drink or anything. Good. I haven't had a drink in five years. Good for you. That's a huge Thank accomplishment you. in itself. But that, you have a lot that, of sugar. Yo, sugar is where it's at? Yeah, donuts for me. Wait, you say oh. you don't or you do? Your donuts? Sugar? Yeah. Yeah, you're sugar, yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, because that's the thing that I was that I was gonna think about. When your whole thing is words and being fast and funny and quick and articulate, substances obviously aren't gonna help with any part of that journey. I've noticed, you know, George Carlin, huge fan. I just read I've been a fan of his since forever. He talks about like, oh, I don't actually smoke weed as much as people think that I do. Hardly ever because I need to be fresh. Conan, obviously somebody who famously is a teetotaler as well or was for most of his career. So I get it. You I think some people are, you know, I think it's to each there. But for me, I definitely, I need to be as crisp as possible. Mm -hmm. Also, so much of comedy for me at least is there's so much rejection that it's maintaining a healthy mindset so you don't like just fall off into the void. You know what I mean? Yep. And any kind of substances really ends up making me moodier. 
And then yeah. it's harder to climb back up. So I just, you know, I focus really hard. And I say this as, and it's, I don't know if it sounds silly or not, but I feel like anybody who gets into the arts, it's like, get a therapist sure. and, you know, find a way to maintain because you have no schedule. You right. have to make it yourself. There's no, you have to make your own long-term plans. Yeah. Um, so however you have to take care of yourself, like I walk a lot. As soon as I start to get upset, I'll be like, walk. And that's where I come up with mm-hmm. most of my jokes. Or if I have to run a set and I'm super nervous, like if it's for a thing, I just, I'm like, just get out, walk. We'll run it, we'll run it, we'll run it. Yeah. That's, that's so cool. Um, and yeah, the dealing with re- rejection part, that's such an interesting component because I guess there's like micro rejection and macro rejection. There's micro if a joke bombs or if a certain thing that you want to do doesn't work. And then macro is where did the last five years of my life go or something like that, right? Or why haven't I gotten what I want? Um, maybe. Do you feel that that's the case? Well, it's like you submit to tons of things or you write for things. And a lot of times you'll get, you know, pretty close to, and then it's done. You know what I mean? Either if the project falls apart, it went to somebody else. Um, what you had to offer at that time wasn't what they were looking for. And it's the just being like, I'll just keep doing it, you know, without comparing, without becoming bitter. Um, so I think for me, that's where the import, the important part of the projects I like to be a part of plays in. I want to be a part of things that um, make people feel good, you know, um, tell important stories, maybe things where other people, like I like to talk about things that maybe I think I was embarrassed about. And that way, if other people feel embarrassed, maybe they feel less embarrassed. So you sort of have a why, like why this is important. Yeah. I also always tell myself, like two weeks ago, I did something since I moved, everything's like sort of new. And sometimes I feel very nervous. And I always tell myself, if you want to quit, you're totally allowed to quit, but you're not allowed to quit until December. So until December, you just have to keep doing these things that make you uncomfortable. And then you can reassess. I like that. And obviously come December, you're in a different place than you were. You know what I mean? And you're like, okay, I can do it for another. I can give myself till May now. Yeah. Because it does feel uncomfortable trying new things and asking people for things. and Right. But I don't want to. Obviously, I love it. You know. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One one of the themes that I like to think about and talk about a lot is this idea of permission. And I think social media and building things yourself that's that's something that's constantly in my head about permission. Whether it's to to make money as an entrepreneur or to do something in the arts. I think like the old way is. I have a movie to be made. I have to pitch it to some asshole studio exec and they have to give me permission for it to be made. Otherwise, I have nothing, right? But then with social media, you have this kind of belief, whether it's true or not, that you can, like you said, circumvent those people. You can do it your own way. You can build up your own audience. You can skip those people. How do you feel at this stage? I mean, obviously, being on a traditional path, like getting a booker from Colbert, that's huge. You can't duplicate that on Instagram. Do you believe more in, let's say, the new way or, you know, or the old way? Do you think one has more power than the other or is it both? Um, I really believe that it's different for every person's path. I mean, obviously, I have a lot of friends who have just blown up on social media. They have an incredible audience. They put their specials on YouTube. They did a phenomenal job. Okay. Um, and then I have people that go no more traditional routes. You know, I think I'm going to be somewhere... 
in the middle or a whole other route. You know what I mean? A person who does specials and, you know, murder Christmas movies. But I think it's, it's what works best for you. And um, just relentlessly doing it. Sure. Just putting in the reps regardless. Regardless of, yeah. you know, so a lot of times you're like, I don't feel like it. I don't want to do it. I hate myself. And then you're like, well, you're going to do it anyway. Right. You know, and, and it's often been said, I don't know if it's still true in the social media age, but it's often been said that public speaking is the number one fear of just about everybody. Uh, and that assumes a non-hostile audience, right? That's like giving a corporate speech or a wedding toast or something like that. How have you dealt with the feeling of potentially being, like you said, in a, in a hostile environment or where something's just not working or 45 minutes are not working? What do you do in the moment? How do you feel about that? I mean, it's just, it's inevitable. It will happen. It mm -hmm. happens. Um, and then you are just like, I'll, I'll handle it. You know, it's not my worst. Public speaking isn't my worst fear. Right. Um, but it, it does happen. Things go wrong. People hate you. Um, and you just sort of have to sit in it until it's over. And what I do is I tell myself, uh, I remember the first time I bombed so bad that I came home and uh, my thing is Lord of the Rings. I watched all three Lord of the Rings, extended version, all three back to back. And I ate... Um, I ate a whole pizza and uh, mar a bar of marzipan. And, you know, you just like kind of just sit in it and it's, you wish you could take it out of your brain. And then the trick is, what did you learn from it? What are you going to do differently? And you just got to get back up again. As soon as you get back up again, you're going to feel better. And I think a lot of comics would say you learn more when you bomb because you immediately are like, I don't want to feel that again. I got to... Right. And there's bombing because you're doing a new joke, which is not the same. You haven't figured it out. That's a part of the game. And then there's like just eating it. You know what yeah. I mean? Because they don't like you or something's off or like, and just having to be like, Ugh. or when somebody yells at you, but it's just, you know, you learn the skills. Like when I started, I never would have been able to deal with that. But now I've had people yell almost everything at me and it hurts your feelings. But I tell myself, you want to have hurt feelings, you wait till you go home and have the hurt feelings. Okay. I usually think of, and this may sound dorky, but um, I always think of like insecure people in the audience when I get yelled at and I don't want them to see, uh, I think particularly because I'm a woman, I don't want them to see a woman, you know, be treated badly because I, you know what I mean? I always think of like younger women and how I would want them to always feel like they can do what they want to do and that people can't say shit to them. Yeah. So I always think I'm going to be that person who doesn't let it phase them. You're going so to project or if that. I, yeah. Yeah. Or I'll be like, oh, that's not very nice. Like I won't ignore it and I won't be like, but I'm not going to like let it derail me. I'm still going to do what I was there to do. Yeah. That's really powerful stuff. Uh, do you think the percentage goes down over time, the the number of those instances, or is it just truly random? Like one night something's off and nobody knows why the energy's weird. No, I don't think the percentage goes down. I mean, for okay. like all the comics I talk to, yeah. I think like, I do think when you're very, very famous, people are very excited to see you. Right. So there's like, there's like an enthusiasm that may carry the comic. But like people always have to work out new jokes. And then 
I I don't, you know, I don't like the top level comics. I I wouldn't know, but I know comics who are doing very well who are like, oh, brutal bomb. Yeah. Oh, it's just a part of it. Interesting. But a good skill to have, I guess. I mean, a great skill to have, let's be honest. If you can deal with it, you must be pretty strong mentally. It's so funny because I could deal with that and then like little life things. I'm like, (laughs) I cannot make a phone call. You know what I mean? I can't make a phone call. I have to like make a sandwich. I walk around the room. I got to pep talk myself. But I'll go into a room of complete strangers, you know? And somewhere out there, there's an introvert whose mind is just (laughs) exploding right now. They're like, what are you doing? That's the part that's so funny about people. (laughs) Like, (laughs) we're all different. And you moved from New York to L.A., right? So what was the thought process there? Well, I've always, you know, I've been out here for gigs. Thank you so much. I'm the welcoming Um, committee. I appreciate it. I don't don't know if you put, I see I put on my tie-dye. Very good. Just for, to be Los Angeles. Yeah. I'm very East Coast. You know, I went to, grew up in Maine. I went to college in Montreal. I lived in New York. East Coast girl and my family's on the East Coast. And every time I went out here, you know, I associate it with like Hollywood. You know what I mean? It's like, seems like a, you know, the palm tree against the dusk. It's like this cool place in my head. And I've always wanted to try living here. And right before the pandemic, I came out and I, you know, put some feelers out and I was like, I really want to do this. And then the pandemic happened and one of my takeaways, I'm, I'm very grateful for my health and my family's health. And I sort of thought about how I want to do the things that I always said I wanted to do because, you know, it's all very fleeting. So um, I thought, you know, let's just take this chance and roll the dice. Because um, leaving New York is hard. All my friends are there. And I'll, so much stage time. Like you get up, I know where the clubs are and the clubs that I'm at, you get up all the time and here it's starting over. And we, when we moved, leaving your comfort zone, like I actually physically felt ill. You know sure. what I mean? Yeah. I was like, my back hurt. I started um, grinding my teeth. You know, it's like your body being like, whoa, 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 whoa. But you're just like, we're just trying a new thing. You know, you read all the books that say this is normal. You know what I mean? You just got to push through it. Um, and, you know, I, I like this adventure. It's There's beautiful trees and, and I like walking up Runyon and I like looking yeah. at people's dogs. Um, I'm like the only person that swims in the pool here because I think everybody else just uses it as Yeah, a, what's up with that? They just don't do it. I swim laps every night. Great. I love it. Um you know, and I think it throws you out of your comfort zone enough to be like, I'll try these new things. I'll put these new things out there. Um, so I, I'm really grateful that we could get out here and I'm excited about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's an interesting journey. Everybody who comes out here, it's it's an interesting journey. You have a honeymoon phase and then the reality it's I've noticed this with everybody because in the beginning, you're just like, it's warm in December, which is amazing. Don't get me wrong. Like I've lived in cold climates most of my life until I came here. That will continue to be awesome, but L.A. is a very specific city. I'm sure New York is a very specific city, but L.A. is very specific. Good and bad. It's just like, it's different than anywhere else. I'm curious what you'll think a year or two on about it. Me too. 
I mean, I have no idea. No you know, idea. Yeah. Like learning, I'm just getting like just driving everywhere is different. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm still terrorized by parking. Yep. Um, but I also think because I'm from Maine and I love the woods, there's a part of me that that didn't get fed in New York because even when you're outside, you're not outside. You know, it feels very enclosed. Yeah. And so it's very nice to like walk out my door and feel like I'm outside. And I love New York. Yes. There's no place like it. But this sort of fills a part of me that has been ignored for a while. Mm -hmm. Do you think that New York has more of a stand-up culture or is it roughly equivalent? I think it's, um, there's very lovely comics here and there's it, a great scene. And obviously, you know, I feel like New York comics and LA comics, like I feel like comics support each other because they get the lifestyle. And also a fun thing with comics is it's a whole group of people who say inappropriate things randomly. And it's not like we mean to, you know what I mean? We just, it's like what comes to our minds. Yeah. So there is like a, a solace in meeting other comics because you're like, oh, there was not, it's not wrong with me. I was just with the wrong group of people. You know, these people don't take me personally. They get it. I don't have to explain myself. So I think that that sort of creates a community of support. Um, I think I haven't been in LA long enough to, but what's great about New York is really the amount of reps you can get. You can't get that here just because of the geography. Yeah, you know what I mean? Sure. In New York, you just get on the subway or you you can walk just between like, clubs. Yeah. So you can just get the reps in, which is also New York. I'll come home from spots three, three, four in the morning. You know, here, even when it's not the pandemic, it's people go to bed earlier. <laughs> True. <laughs> so it's just, I also think here, like people will get on a writing job or they'll get on like a show. And so they... You know what I mean? There's there are uh, there are more comedy adjacent options, mm -hmm. and New York is like you're getting your reps in. Interesting, yeah, yeah. I believe that everything is so spread out here, and it's it's hard. One thing I noticed about this town is it's hard to get people to go to stuff because you have to be so focused on your own career and life to survive in this city that a lot of times people don't go to things that don't directly benefit them. I've noticed. Mm. And actually, I lived, so my, my wife is from um, Amsterdam, so I lived in Europe, and I think that's kind of a similar vibe to New York and that everything is right there. You can walk, you can literally bike everywhere. And there are uh, clubs and cafes and things, and people just go to them no matter what. They're full, no matter who's there. But here, you don't really see that. It's like people go to a place for a specific thing. They don't just go because it's a Friday night in my opinion. Because there's totally. too much shit to do. You know, they're like, oh, I've got to work, work about my own thing. So you might experience that. I've certainly noticed that. And it was a huge shock for me getting used to things out here. I've been mm. here five years and I still feel like some of those things. And sometimes I'm like, man, what was my life like? I can't, almost can't even remember anymore. But I think you'll, <laughs> it's like, you're living in a dream now, <laughs> you know? Like all of this <laughs> is a dream. Time has no meaning for you now. That's the way it I feel. It does feel, time Time feels very different. It's it's completely, like five years will go away and you won't have seasons to remember. So it's just like one blob of this. All I know is when my car lease is up. So. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but that's like tomorrow, you know? Your car lease is like, oh, three years, oh, there it is. It's cool. And you just go on. But it's, you know, I that song, it sounds super cliche, but the uh, 
Hotel California has taken on such special meaning for me. Like, you're driving into Malibu and you're dri- and that song comes on and you're like, oh, I get it now. And you really... Oh, that's so good. You really get it for the first time ever. Because I was just thinking, I didn't get it. I remember when I was a kid and like, yeah. you know, everybody had these ideas of what it was about. But as you're saying this, I'm thinking of like, oh, it's about California. You'll, you'll see. It's literally about the state of California. <laughs> and then one day, you know, like, because, so, you know, who knows? Maybe you decide that you're going to go back. Like, I don't know what your career will take you on, but one day you might book that plane ticket and you might be thinking about, you know what? I am going back to New York. Fuck it. I don't care. And then as you book that flight, you're going to feel something in your heart. And then that line of you can check out anytime, but you can never leave. That will haunt you for the rest of your life. I promise you that it will forever. Oh, that's so... I'm going to listen to this immediately. Yeah. We have it on vinyl. There you go. Put it on repeat. Listen to it, you know, every couple of weeks. It'll just come up just every now and again. Put it on on vinyl and you will, you'll get it immediately, I think. And one day it's like, dang, did I make the biggest mistake? Of my- no, not- no, you'll never. It's not a mistake. I, I'm just kidding. But I do think what you just said about um, people being into what they're doing yeah. here, there's something about that that's very... Um, I find it sort of uh, if you know that, you know what I mean? Then it's like, oh, I can just stay home and work on a thing I need to work on today. There's something very freeing about it. True. That's true. I agree. Yeah, there's no better place. You know, if you can handle leaving the sunshine out there. And that's, you know, some screenwriters have said that, like William Goldman, the author of Princess Bride, various other, Butch Cassidy, Sundance Kid, he said, I can't get anything done in LA. I mean, he died. But if you're able to let Runyon Canyon be out there and the sun be out there and the palm trees be out there and you're in here typing on your laptop, if you're able to do that, then the world is your oyster. But if you're the type of person, and I don't think you are, but there's also unlimited parties, every kind of drug booze. Like you could be at a pool all day, every day for the rest of your life. And that's where people, I think they go wrong because well, it's just so nice and so tempting to do that. Well, I, I think that's why coming in with like a New York East Coast workaholicism, yeah. you know, you find that balance. Um. I also think the pandemic, like, had I moved not in, in the pandemic, the, I would have such anxiety about not getting up on stage every night. Yep. But I didn't get up for months. You know what I mean? So coming here, I, I can do that transition where I'll be like, well, just stay inside and work on a project. You don't have to yep. run around everywhere. So cool. Yeah. What What is the most exciting part of all of it for you? Do you enjoy... The writing, like what? what is the most fun? I write, I'm, you know, people say this and it's, but I do write on stage. Like I'll have an idea I want to work out. I work on it on stage and then I, then I write it out and try to edit it. Um, the most exciting part for me is performing. In the, in the moment, performing. Um, I, I mean, I loved, I loved writing my Christmas novel. That was really fun. I sort of really got lost in it. Um, but I mean, for me, the, the, the moment of everything is the, it's performing. It's also, it's like also talking about things that 
you know, you wanted to say and seeing people resonate with it or laugh. And I, you know, it, I don't know where else to put, where I would get that. It's just, it's really an incredible feeling. Mm, absolutely. I feel like I put up, you, we as comics put up with an incredible amount of garbage and, uh, you know, no regular lifestyle or, you know, piecing together an income for that moment. Right. That's so but true. It's, I mean, I think it's worth it. It's still worth it. It's the addiction. Yeah. The the energy. It's it's about the energy, right? You just can't get that energy from anything else. Well, it feels like this collective. It's like you and the people in the room are in this like organic moment together. And I I can't really get that from anything else. Now, obviously, I you know, you've said that you want to talk about things generally that are important to you and that matter to you. I think clearly you surely have a desire to be on the right side of history in all of these moments. Um, how do you deal with the offensive or offended culture? What are your thoughts on that? Not that I think maybe you would try to offend, but what happens if you make a remark or something and somebody is upset or if you've gotten angry tweets or has any of that stuff ever happened so far? I definitely have had people get upset with me um, or they're offended. And sometimes, you know, for me, who is, I, I like people being happy. It's it's hard for me when people are upset. Um, and sometimes people are just going to be upset. You know what I mean? And they're they're not for you. And they're upset because of exactly what you were trying to say. Mm. And you're like, well, that is my opinion. And that is what I'm saying. And if you're yeah. upset by it, then I guess good. You know what I mean? Because that was the whole point of it. And then there is like where you... I don't want people to feel... Um, like if something was hateful accidentally or um, I, I, I missed a point, you know what I mean? That being said, I'm, I'm happy to grow. Obviously, I've probably said things that were non-inclusive in a way that I didn't realize. Sure. And nobody likes to be wrong, but I don't know any other way if somebody pointed it out. And then I, I would like the opportunity to become better and understand um, what was said and you know then then you can decide did i mean that was i ignorant to something um you know so it sort of depends on what was said i don't think a lot of the things that i talk about are things that happened to me okay so it's sort of weird if somebody would take it personally right do you know what i mean i'm sort of not i'm not a observational comic okay i'm like a storyteller so i had this one lady come up to me after the show mad at me and I was like, I don't genuinely, I shouldn't have engaged, but I did. I was like, I literally don't understand how you can be mad about yep. a story that happened to me. And in a case like that, you're like, I can't, I'm not, you just want to be upset about shit. You sure. know what I mean? So I also find you'll be the only woman on a show. There'll be like eight guys yep. and then you. And then I love dirty comedy. I'm not saying anything about it, but people will just say the filthiest shit. Right. And then you'll go up and you'll say something a quarter as filthy. And then people will come up and be like, that was just, and you're like, you're clearly doing it because mm. I was the woman on the show mm. and you are judging me differently than you yeah. were judging them. And I'll say, did you think any of the guys were filthy? Did you walk up to any of them? Wow. And, yeah. it's, and it's never, they never do. Yeah. And so if people like that, you're like, bring it on. I'll offend you. Cause you know, I would like to, not that they're going to change, but like, if you only thought the woman was offended, <laughs> yeah, you're the one. You're the problem. Yep. 
But then some things like you didn't know that you said or, you know, you, somebody felt left out or, you know what I mean? Unfortunately, you're, it's, a, it's a public, you learn, you get better, you practice in public. So you're just going to have to, you know, if something was amiss, you're going to have to learn and, and apologize or, or make better what you said. I mean, there's no, we can't. Mm. Yeah. Well, you know, this, this last year, obviously, a lot of the political stuff came to the forefront, which to me was really disappointing. Watching America go on its journey was really saddening and really weird to me. Um, I had this moment. I'm really curious what your thought is on this. Some comics, like if you take uh, Samantha B or the, any of the people from the Daily Show crowd, they bring politics, all of that, into what they're doing, and that is the core part. Colbert, also. Politics, yeah. politics, politics. And then you've got other comics, like I would say Conan always did a great job of that, where he's like, I'm going to avoid all of that stuff completely. I'm just going to try to find something that's universally funny, that's not relevant or topical, not like John Oliver, but just something that's just a quirky, wacky, funny thing. Uh, what, what do you feel about, is that a conscious choice for you? Do, you? do you appreciate both of those? Do you say like one is worse than the other? No, I appreciate both those. That's what I love about comedy. Yeah. You know, um, it's all people can be all of those things. I used to do a lot more political stuff. And um, I think the past, you know, recent, I, I do think that comedy is very well suited to political stuff because when people laugh at something, they may be more willing to digest something that they weren't willing to digest if you said it seriously. Um, and I think it sort of is a way to speak speak your truth and what you see as truth and maybe hit a wider audience with that because you made it funny. Mm -hmm. And then I think that some people are doing other kinds of comedy. And I think that's what's great about comedy is that it takes all kinds. And I don't think one is better than the other. It's sort of what kind of person... You have to be the kind of comic that you are a person. Mm -hmm. So that that's what I think makes it authentic. And if you're the kind of person who you know, talks about politics all the time, then that's the kind of comic you are. And if you're the kind of, so I think that's, because I think what keeps you in comedy with all of the ups and downs is that you're talking about things that you like to talk about. This is something I want, I have to say, yeah. you know? So I try to do more topics like mental health, um, talking about being in a relationship, sort of that, or sexual politics, um, yeah. things like that. But like, as opposed to daily what's happening that day. But you know what I mean? I think they're all valuable and um, equally important. Sure. But I guess that also speaks to, like you said, the culture of comics supporting other comics. Like you get it all. You're able to appreciate it all for what it is, it sounds like, which I completely understand. Yeah, I think I, that's also just the kind of person I am. Right. I'm sort of delighted when people find their thing. Sure. I also enjoy all kinds of comedy. Same. Like, I'll watch John Oliver and I'll be like, yeah, you're right. I am pissed off about housing inequality. Like, I should do more of that. And then I'll watch Conan talk about Home Depot or something like that. I'm like, hey, that's, that's universally funny. I like that too. Yeah, I think and, they're both great. But I did notice this. I will say that John Oliver has a lot of gray hair now. So I do sometimes wonder, is being angry all the time... <laughs> Does that speed up the aging process? Like you're in a land of health food and sun now and abstinence and sobriety. 
Well, I think everybody's dying their hair. That's what I think. Um, he's just like, this is what it looks like. I, yeah. you know, I, I love political comedy. I also, I'm a political person. You know what I mean? I'm on Emily's list board and I, I was raised that way. Like my mom took me to um, protest when I was a baby, you know? So I, I love that he, John Oliver gets people engaged, you know, when he, you're like, oh, I didn't know that about the post office. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. And makes it digestible. I think it's really a, it's a gift. Also, when I say something is a gift, obviously somebody works very hard at it. But I think he is terrific at what he does. And um, I do think it's very important. Yeah. And then just having a laugh and, um, you know, taking a break and needing an escape and that kind of comedy. That's also very important. Mm. You know, we all need, that's why I watch my Christmas movies. I need an escape. <laughs> right, that's true. You can't be I'll in the go, weeds all the time. Yeah, and then I'll go back out there and keep marching. You know what I mean? But I got to take a little break. Right. Christmas is the break from the cynicism <laughs> and murder movies are the break from the hecklers. <laughs> like, last night I kept my cool, but today, let me tell you, I am writing murder movies. the most bloody murder imaginable. I just thought of this because you said your uh, wife was from Amsterdam. Yes. That's right. And my grandfather always used to say, if it ain't Dutch, it ain't much. And I was going to say, I'm guessing, I'm going to make a wild prediction here. Your heritage is from the northern part of the Netherlands. Your last name is Northern Dutch last name. Is that right? Bonema. We went to uh, just above Rotterdam. Yeah. Because the, the northern Dutch names all end like that. Alkema, Bonema. Like that. that's a Dutch. It means good man. Good man. <laughs> well, and I am a very good you're a man. A very good man indeed. <laughs> I, <laughs> I I do want to be uh, mindful of your time here. I have a couple last questions. First of all, thank you so much for gracing me with your presence. That's uh, been truly wonderful up till this point. Um uh, you're like up until now. Yeah. After this, it's about it's to get garbage. a lot worse. Um well, so, thank you for having me. I noticed I you didn't fill out your taxes sense. properly. Let no. <laughs> um, oh, that's another thing. If you are self-employed, make sure you're on top of your taxes. I feel like so much of art, being an artist, looks like, you know, it's this thing, but it's also like, you got to find a dentist because that's going to be thousands of dollars if you don't take care of that. You know what I mean? You got to gotta do your taxes. Yep. Taxes you know and I mean? dentists. <laughs> Those All are the two big things. ones. <laughs> Like you will be grinding your teeth a lot in this profession. So get a dentist. You know, you're not going to have regular income. So maybe yeah. find a dental school uh, for that <laughs> implant that you need. <laughs> but you got to take care of it because you got to take care of your health. That's so good. Um, all right. So parting, parting words. Um, first off, advice to anybody. And I have a young daughter myself. She's just about to turn three. So. Oh, wow. A, a girl or a young girl getting into the arts wants to be a comedian, wants to pursue. What's the best little snippet of advice that you would have? I would say get up as much as you can. Just keep getting up. Talk about the things you want to talk about. And, you know, I really love my friends and I love their projects. And I do feel like sometimes art and then people try to like pit people against each other. Some, oh, this person got this. Don't, don't get sucked into it. You know what I mean? Everybody's on their own path. A rising tide lifts all boats. Be happy for your friends. Show up to people's stuff. You know what I mean? Um, just live in the creativity, but just keep getting up and talk about what you want to talk about. 
And don't let anybody tell you that you can't. And so they will, and it will feel bad. You go home, you watch Lord of the Rings, you eat some marzipan, you get right back out there. Bravo. Well said. <laughs> well said. And uh, for the last piece, um, I want to give you the floor, promote anything, uh, you know, where, where can people find you? What do you want people to know or to see or to follow? Any of that, the floor is totally yours. Oh my goodness. Well, check out Were You Raised by Wolves that I co-host with Nicholas Layton. It comes out every Monday. Um, you can subscribe on our website, where you raised by wolves.com. If you like a, a rom-com Christmas movie, if you just like a, a love story, if you like a cheesy comedy, go to Amazon, Google The Holiday Breakdown, which is my book, because she has a breakdown and her car breaks down. Little double entendre. Um, it's a very quick read. You know, it's like a fun romp. It's, you know, ideally it's very funny. I'm hoping it's funny. <laughs> and so check that out. And then, you know, if you want to check out my Colbert clip, give it a thumbs up. That's on YouTube. Cool. And I'm on Instagram at Leah Bonima, L-E-A-H-B-O-N-N-E-M-A. Same YouTube, same Twitter. I obviously have to get better at social media, but. Or don't, been, or just write more books. Either way. Yeah. One of the but, two. You know, yeah. Maybe not. Okay. Maybe we all got to get worse at social media. Maybe we, <laughs> maybe we can take a couple years getting way worse at it. I'm okay with that possibility. But, yeah, there's uh, always that part in my brain that's like, I should just go into the woods. Yeah. And then just write it all down. And then one day, you know, they'll find your body and they'll find, you know, a trunk full of stuff. And they're like, oh, she was actually really funny. Was that like <laughs> Emily Dickinson or something like that, yeah. you know? Very thorough. Very thorough. Yeah, exactly. There's always that option if LA becomes too much. <laughs> But uh, we'll we'll sign off there. Again, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I will tell everybody, yeah, check it out. Subscribe, follow, all of those things. Um, and with that, the podcast is officially over. Thank you for having me. This is so fun. Thank you once again for listening to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I sure did. It was a lot of fun laughing with a very talented comedian. I'm very, very much looking forward to seeing where her career goes from here. I know it's going to be fantastic. At this point, I'd like to remind you that if you've been listening or if this is your first time, please rate it five stars on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on Spotify. Follow me on Instagram at the Ross Palmer. Subscribe on YouTube. Do all of the things. Leave a comment. Just generally let me know you're out there. We live in a crazy, unconnected world digitally. So if there's anything you can do just to let me know that you heard it or that you liked it, just reach out, drop a line, make us all feel a little less isolated in this crazy time. But again, thank you so much for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. And I will see you next time.